you had a busy week in the market? Not had time to catch up with the latest trends? Well, welcome to Cloud9fin, our suite of podcasts where we bring you the need to know information on deals, documentation, ESG, and we deep dive into the themes showing up in the high yield, leveraged loans, and restructuring spaces. We also have our US podcast, which features discussions with members of the North American Levin market with US editor Will Cager-Smith, so be sure to check in every second Thursday for that. I'm Catherine Hidalgo, a loans reporter at Ninefin, and I'll be your host for today when we'll be having another special Q&A. We'll be speaking to Boris Okulia, a partner, portfolio manager, and co-head of Global Liquid Credit in the Aries Credit Group. He also serves as a member of the Aries Credit Group's European Liquid Credit and European Direct Lending Investment Committees and has previously worked at Carlisle, UBS and Barclays, to name a few major shops. Thanks so much for being with us today, Boris. Thank you for having me. So there's a lot going on out there in the market. Let's get stuck in. Um, Do you see any kind of opportunity from the SVB fallout? Well, I think that the reaction that we saw drew a line underneath some of the concern around regional banks and the performance of those regional banks, the stability that they give really to the mid-market in the U.S. And that swift action certainly worked to allay some concerns. Whenever we see these types of events, they do create volatility and they do have an impact on sentiment. And as a result of that, Uh, there is always opportunity that comes from volatility when we're looking at credit markets, generally speaking, and when we're looking at underlying credits from a very fundamental perspective, we can find a lot of good opportunities that that avail themselves through this, uh, you know, through these market movements. So um, we've been certainly trying to take advantage of it where we can. Nice. I guess we've kind of discussed it there a little bit, but how much of a knock-on impact do you expect on credit, I guess? Depends which way you want to take it, but from a time perspective, how long do you think this might impact credit for? I think that's a that's definitely a crystal ball type of a question, and it is a little bit hard to foresee because there are always second order impacts on liquidity and on credit availability, on cost of capital for different uh, for different types of businesses. So, uh, you know, what we will see is certainly. You know, a widening, which has been already experienced in the market. But what it does is it creates a little bit of a pause throughout the chain and throughout the ecosystem, whether it's underwriters, whether it's people looking at raising capital for expansion plans, uh, for, you know, for uh, more capex needs that they might otherwise have been sort of moving full steam ahead. There might be some pauses there, Um, refinancing opportunities, even acquisition opportunities. All of this might be called into question, at least for the short term, and there can be a little bit of a pause around it. Alternatively, though, that you have seen a little bit of flight to quality. Underlying rates have tightened in as a result of some of the concerns. Um, that can have a bit of a positive effect in terms of funding costs, at least over the near term, to allay some of those considerations. Um, but really, the, the, pr- the proof will be in the pudding kind of six, 12 months out. And I think that there will be a, you know, some continued tightening of standards as a result, and that'll have a little bit of an impact on credit quality over the, over the medium to longer term. I guess I'd love to know what your investors are worried about generally. Uh, at this point in time, the questions are fairly rudimentary, just you know, how are we as a firm exposed to some of these? What are our credits looking like in terms of exposure to these? What are views on 
liquidity for these firms in, in terms of exposure to these. And How concerning is interest cover, given these kind of higher base rates? We've seen a little bit of a relaxation on them in the last couple of weeks. But more generally this year, what, how concerning has that been to you? Well, we've been watching the interest cover ratios coming in, broadly speaking, with the, with the rise in base rates. Uh, economic activity has still been pretty strong, so there's been a little bit of margin deterioration, uh, but it hasn't been so concerning across the broad spectrum. Um, the rates have gotten to pretty high levels. As you said, uh, things like SOFR have come in about 50 basis points you know, very recently, just given some of, the, some of the recent volatility, and that is definitely going to ease off a little bit. Um, but we are coming from a period where interest uh, or fixed charge cover, interest cover was at or near record highs, you know, within the last 12 months. So there was a lot more cushion than would normally be expected. So I think that the ratios are just starting to normalize from a longer term perspective. This gives people the opportunity to continue servicing their debt. The question that we ask ourselves is, how long do we think rates are going to be elevated? And therefore, what does that mean in terms of the impact um, on corporate health? Inflationary environments tend to shrink debt stacks from, you know, if all things are being held equal. Um, so the cash flow impact will offset over time the amount of, you know, absolute dollars and euros that's, that's created in terms of free cash flow. Um, as long as the debt stack is not growing at the same time. So, you know, longer term, it should be okay. In the medium, uh, in the medium term, we're just watching to really understand how long will those, those ratios be thinner. And then again, it goes back to what we discussed earlier, which is what is the knock-on effect in terms, of, um, you know, in terms of capital spending, in terms of investment in these businesses and investment in growth. I think that's where, we, you know, where we're really trying to pay attention as well. Do you have any sectors or areas or any other kind of trends where you think there is more pressure than others? I would point to some of the more obvious areas, really, which is businesses that run relatively tight margins, kind of single-digit margins, uh, will clearly be under the most pressure. Businesses that are heavily cyclical will be under a lot of pressure. Businesses that have large uh, capital expenditure programs are going to be under pressure because they're going to be big users of capital over the medium term, um, and those are those are really the areas that we're watching. So it's less of a, it's more idiosyncratic than I would say truly sector specific. Um, consumer facing businesses obviously are something that you know we want to be mindful of as well, and those tick some of those boxes that I was mentioning before. But um, but those that are very capital intensive are are ones that we want to make sure have ample amounts of funding at the right costs in order to see their programs through and then execute on those plans for, and ultimately achieve the growth they need to. doesn't sound like there are too many totally safe spots out there. <laughs> I mean, it's so tough with all of the volatility that we're seeing right now, but do you see CLO supply and newish ULBOs coming back into balance anytime soon? Well, the CLO formation has been picking up again over the course of this year. It always comes down to arbitrage um, until the last 10 days or so. Uh, the, the liability side was actually moving in pretty comfortably, which was making those metrics work. Investors are pretty keen to put capital back to work. 
they've had coupons paying, they've had capital returned, and so they're looking to redeploy. Um, since the last 10 days, we've seen those spreads move out, you know, in AAA's kind of 20, 30 basis points, so losing some of the ground that they had made moving in. Um, so it really just comes down to where then the collateral side is and what that ARB, what the equity ARB looks like. But we have started to see a return um, of meaningful activity. Even in 2022, it wasn't necessarily perfect, but the volumes were actually still relatively healthy if you look on sort of three and five year average levels. Uh, LBO activity, as with anything, there are a lot of private equity sponsors that have a lot of dry powder that want to be putting it to work. We have been seeing you know, some large deals getting announced on both sides of the pond. I don't necessarily think that that's going to slow things down for higher quality credits. So there will be opportunities from the primary side. But what, what we won't necessarily see as much of over the next 12 months is refinancing activity that's opportunistic. Um, you know, amend and extend type of activity, I think, will will be taking the place of the old refinancing activity that we saw. And, um, and any new M&A opportunities will start to make their way back, I think, toward the middle of the year. I mean, you must speak to sponsors quite a lot. Um, do you, what what do you think is holding them back? I mean, I know you said that you see big deals being announced, but I think it is fair to say there's been a slowdown in M and A. What what do you think is holding them back? Is it well the the fundamentals have changed quite a bit from what they've been for the last seven, eight, ten years. Um, you know, capital is expensive again, or it's more expensive. I would just say it's actually somewhat normalized if you take a longer term view on it. So money, borrowed money costs something again. Therefore, you need to make sure that you're buying something at the right price, that you have a real plan around the execution, around creating operational excellence or growth when you do make that, when you do make that acquisition. And you have to reconsider multiple ways out with that business. So um, the availability of capital is also shifting. Um, the, you know, the capital markets windows are opening and closing. I would say that if you put the right price on something, there's still plenty of availability within the capital markets, and we've we've seen that. Um, but then, does that work in the context of the plans that they have with an asset that a willing seller would be able to sell to them to make the numbers work as well? So, um, so it's a little bit of a, a shift in dynamics versus many years of tight spreads, low base rates, and plentiful liquidity and leverage um, to now, again, capital costing something, and so that being a risk. So they're basically just kind of adjusting to a new order, would you say? Adjusting back to the old order, maybe, <laughs> I think is, a, is probably a better way to put it. Right, absolutely. Um, kind of speaking of depth of capital and um, reliability of capital, what's, what's the role of private credit in, in large cap? LBOs going forward? Do you think they've solidified their position in this market? I think we've seen a pickup in private capital across large transactions, whether it's in Europe or in the US. Uh, There is certainty of execution from the private capital side, which is a great lever to be able to pull. And ultimately speaking, I think it has a very meaningful place in, in large LBOs in the future. What you really want from broader capital markets, whether they're public, whether they're private, is to give people financing options and opportunities to execute on their vision of whatever it is that they're trying to achieve with their businesses or with the M&A that they're doing. So having multiple levers that you can pull at any given point in time 
just creates more opportunity for everybody. Uh, I think one of the misconceptions is that if something goes down a private route, that it will stay there forever. We've obviously seen that that's not the case. We've seen companies move back and forth depending on what the market conditions are. But the good news being that they had the opportunity to even execute on the transaction and get into the market to begin with because one more traditional avenue might have been closed and another one was open and available. And we've seen a lot of opportunities where it did start out in one place. It started out as more expensive capital as the markets normalized a little bit or went to the new world order that is now back to the old world order again. But back in the new world order, they were able to refinance at more attractive rates in the in the broader capital markets. Then as they're looking to do different things, they're looking to expand again. Those, those opportunities might be closed. They might have more certainty of execution. And so then they'll look at some sidecar financing in the private markets to do what they're looking to do. So having having that ability as opposed to just being beholden to one source of capital, much like if we go back to sort of the 80s and 90s when it was, hey, you can go to a bank and get a loan or you can't, now that you can actually have several different options and ways to finance yourself just means that there's there's more opportunity for everybody. Just a more professional market in general, right? Absolutely. Any final thoughts you want to leave listeners with? It's an ever-evolving environment. I think that this, um, you know, the rate regime changing is going to have some meaningful impacts on credit investing and on the business environment in the future. But um, it's not to say that that it's it's the end of an era by any stretch of the imagination. You know, people have been doing these types of businesses and operating these environments for decades, so it's just a return as I said to a little bit more normalcy frankly. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to Cloud9Fin. As ever if the listeners are interested in more content head to 9fin.com insights where you can see some in front of the paywall or you can drop us an email at team at 9fin.com we're always keen to hear your suggestions for topic ideas your comments on our discussion and your feedback on the platform. If you like this podcast, don't forget to like and share it. Tune in for the US edition next week. Don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music and Google Podcasts.